Good morning, Belleville South. What a wonderful week we've had together. I have truly been blessed to share this time with you, and thank you so much for your kindness and hospitality and the time I could have spent with you. I spent some time with your youth this morning. You are blessed with wonderful youth in this church. And I told them that the church as a slogan, we often say the church, uh, the youth is the future of the church. Yes. We heard that before. Yes. I just want to tell you this morning that's a lie. It's not true. The youth is the church. <laughs> if the youth only has a place in the future, they feel that they do not have a place now. And embrace your youth and love them. I want to see the hands of those who love the youth in this church. I want the youth to look everyone's hands up. I don't have my glasses, so if your hands are down, I'm missing it. <laughs> but uh, embrace your youth, love them, give them the support that they need in everything they do. And uh, may God bless you, young people. It is not easy being a young person today. And uh, support them in everything they, they do for God. Um, it's, it's truly been a wonderful journey as I say this last week, and we've been looking at certain of the prophecies and themes from the Bible and from God's Word, and today we will be looking at an investment you cannot lose. Uh, some of you might have in the past made investments in certain schemes which has uh, brought out a loss in your lives, maybe lost an investment, money that you uh, really needed. And if I can tell you today that the investment we speak about now is 100% guaranteed, would you believe me? <laughs> we know what the theme is about. It's about money. Uh, but not only about money. It's about stewardship and placing God in control of our time, our talents, our treasures. And as we contemplate this, we will be speaking about money, but remember, it's, it's more than that. And so, um, I want to just start with a few short quips which we hear about money often in life. Someone once said, money talks. <laughs> well, my money talks. It says, goodbye, <laughs> goodbye. It's <laughs> all I hear it saying all the time. <laughs> and someone else said, uh, the golden rule is that he who has the gold rules. <laughs> Sadly, that is true, <laughs> in a sense. Don't let it be true of you. And then the third one, I, I'm saying this carefully. <laughs> um, someone once said that time is money, and money is time. And women are both. <laughs> oh, men, men, sorry, men. <laughs> Uh, our next theme will be on uh, family life and how to get relationships back together again. Uh, yeah, you can apply that one whichever way you like. <laughs> but we joke about money often, but it is a central part of our lives. It makes the world go around, and uh, it makes life easier, but it also comes at a price. Now, God owns everything in this world. Do you agree? If you pray for a million rand today, can God give it to you? Yes. Have you ever prayed for that? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> if, if you believe God would give it. Uh, maybe God gives us 
just as much as we can handle. If God were to give me a million rand today, would I be a better person? Would I use it for God's kingdom or for selfish endeavors? And I was thinking about this a while back when I was going through a uh, bit of a financial dip in my life. You know, you have those times where uh, it just there's not enough uh, um, money to fill the month. <laughs> and I was thinking, Lord, if, if I had more, I could also do more for your kingdom. Yeah. And I'm not bribing or manipulating God. I'm true and honest in my assessment. <laughs> and then I had this impression but if you use what you already have for your kingdom, I can trust you with more. And I didn't like it, <laughs> but it is true. If we are faithful in that that God gives us, He can trust us with even more. And the more He can trust us, the more He will give us. And, and it is actually quite true in our lives. Uh, it's an important subject to God. And He says that money is the root of all evil. Is that what the Bible says? No. Ah, there's few Bible students among us. <laughs> the love of money is the root of all evil. And what it is in essence saying, it is not only the love of money, but it says the love of money above the love of God. That is the root of all evil. If you love money more than God. We all need money. We can't get around that. Um, and 16 of Jesus' 38 parables speaks about money. Did you realize that? And possessions. In the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, it's amazing that one out of every ten verses, 288 in total, deal with the subject of money and our possessions. Why would God be placing so much emphasis on this? Did you know there are more verses in the Bible addressing money and possessions than there are on faith or even prayer? And, and maybe it is because God knew that this could potentially be a stumbling block in our relationship with Him. I believe it is because the God of love wants us not only to live with Him for all eternity, but also to live happy, holy, and abundant lives here on earth. The parable says that God would bless you 30, 60, and 100-fold now and in the life to come. So it's not only the future life and eternity, it's the blessings that God wants to bestow on His children right now. Money, worries, fear for the future, finances are among the things which are the greatest concern that people have today, and especially in the last year and a half uh, since the war started in uh, Ukraine. Because for the first time there was a global impact on finances. Every country in the world is suffering because of that war. Uh, energy prices are up. I don't have to tell you about that. <laughs> and, and suddenly people's eyes are going open because they are saying this is different than in the past. Yeah, you've had economies of countries which have struggled, gone through inflation and hyperinflation and gone through the cycles of macroeconomic principles, but it's the first time that worldwide people are struggling and suffering suffering. Many individuals worry that they will not have enough money to pay their bills. Um, they are concerned that they might not have enough saved to retire eventually with dignity. What will happen if there is suddenly an emergency health situation in your family? 
What will happen if? And people are concerned about this. And I believe as Christians, we can give a good answer, a biblical answer. Now, the one challenge is that a lot of modern preachers use the prosperity gospel to draw members. And it is based on a false premise in the book of Chronicles, a prayer of Jabez, Jabez's prayer, which says, Lord, help me to make a, have a bigger territory, enlarge my territory. But then they stop there. And they say, the more you give me as pastor, the more you will be blessed. And the pastors are buying bigger and smarter cars and uh, airplanes and have billions literally in the bank. And the members are sometimes suffering, but they keep giving because they're manipulated by the pastors through this idea of the more you give me, the more you will be blessed. And some are experiencing real blessings. I've heard testimonies of people saying, I gave my pastor a car. And guess what? A week later, someone gave me a car. Now, I don't know how that works. Don't try to explain that. <laughs> but there's enough of that that do works that the rest do give money, but the majority don't get another car. And they keep giving and giving, and their perception of Christianity is distorted because it is about giving to the church, to the pastor, to enrich him. Whereas we are servant leaders. We are there to serve. We are there to give to each other, to the community. And so sadly, uh, this whole picture of God's intention has been distorted. And a lot of people are moving away from traditional Christianity because of this. And they're still looking for God, but they do not find it in Christianity. And we can offer the true picture of who God is. Now, the problem with the prosperity gospel is that the prayer of Jabez actually says, enlarge my territory so that I can be a blessing to other people. So that I can use this larger territory, be it in his uh, view, uh, land, but it can also be your influence, your money, whatever you have, to bless other people. Not to bless myself, not to enrich myself, but to bless other people. And as we mentioned earlier, God gives us perspective of riches in life, uh, because one of the great things that people have killed for throughout all the years, that people hunger for and look for, is, is money. And the basis of money uh, and the fiat system is gold, the gold standard. Well, that has changed through, for a lot of reasons, which I don't want to go into now. But gold has always been something which has been the most precious of all metal. People will kill for gold. Even the, uh, the prophecy that we studied in Daniel Chapter 2 starts with the head of gold and then subsequently uh, metals of lesser value as the kingdoms become smaller and less influential. And God turns his kingdom upside down because in heaven, gold is used for paving. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, it's what people walk on. It's of the least consequence. That which is the most important to some people here on earth in heaven there's so much that they tar the roads with it. <laughs> and I believe God does this because He wants us to have perspective that if we are focused on riches only on earth, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be disappointed. Because that that was so important here for us, if that is, is of no consequence in God's kingdom. God never intended that you and I were to worry about finances. In fact, even in this troubled world, He wants us to trust in Him and know that He holds the future in our hands. What does that beautiful song say? He's got the whole wide world in His hands. 
And therefore our scripture reading reminds us that do not worry. Ah, this is so difficult. All of us have stress and worries. Not necessarily about finances, but about health issues, about toxic relationships, about, uh, you know, whatever it may be that you're struggling with. Bring those worries to God. Bring the, the, the crosses that you are bearing, the worry to God. I heard someone tell a fictional story about this person who was carrying this cross, and it was a big burden, and he was worried and concerned about it. And so he said to God, it's just too much, I cannot do it anymore. And God said, fine, uh, you don't have to carry this cross anymore, bring it to me. So he brought it to God, and God said, you see that door there? Yeah, you put it in there, and, and leave it there. Um, but every person has to take a cross and has a burden to bear. So you can leave that there, but you have to bring out another one. So... He gives the cross to God. God takes it into the room and uh, leaves it there. And he feels kind of relieved. He doesn't have this worries and burden anymore. But he has to have a cross, but it doesn't have to be such a difficult one to bear. So he goes into the room to select another one. And now he's looking and there's these big crosses that, you know, one has to bear. It fills the whole room and there's smaller ones. And, but right under the table is like a little mini baby cross, just this size. And he says, that one is enough for me. I can bear that one. So he crawls underneath and he picks up this one and he comes out with it. He said, how about this one? And God says, that's the one which I just put inside. That's the one that you were bearing. <laughs> and so we get perspective that even in the struggles and the worries we have, there are other people which are struggling even more, which are going through bigger issues and deeper problems. So do not worry. In essence, a Christian should not have any stress in his life because you give all the problems to God. And I know it's an oversimplification because life is troubling at times. But, but leave the worries today. When you leave this church, symbolically, you leave them here and you go out without those worries. Um, but it refers to specific worries, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, in another portion, it says that he provides these things to us while we are asleep. It is the heathen that worry about these things. And think about your prayer life. The majority of our prayer lives is about these questions. What we shall eat, what we shall drink, health issues, and so on. God says that we shouldn't even be concerned about that. We must leave it to him. Because he will supply in all our needs. And he uses beautiful illustrations of the sparrow that falls. He uses the illustration of the grass, which is here today, but tomorrow it's burnt. Now, what is grass? It's just grass. And a felt fire comes and it burns it and it's not left. God says, I'm even concerned for that. How much more will I not look after you, the crown of my creation? And we sometimes lose this perspective when we, when we focus on the problems, when when it becomes overwhelming. But take it to the Lord, and He will supply in all your needs. Does that mean that you will have an easy life? Not necessarily, but He will supply in all your needs. And that is a promise, and that has been guaranteed. Now, <clears throat> the problem with finances and challenge with this all started in the Garden of Eden. I want to go back there for a while. Planet Earth had just come from the Creator's hands in all the beauty and splendor and perfection, glorious beyond 
description. The stroke of the master artist greeted the eye of every turn. Magnificent sunrises were rivaled only by the breathtaking sunsets. Peaceful lakes nestled between hills. Blossoming vines and gorgeous flowers delighted uh, God's creation. Song birds filled the air with their melodious songs. And animals in the lush meadows played and roamed around unafraid. How Adam and Eve must have enjoyed the perfect world that God created for them. But there was more. The Lord planted a garden and he put the man who he had formed, says the Bible in Genesis 2 verse 8. And just think that somewhere amidst this beautiful wonder of the newborn world, God designed a garden home for Adam and Eve. Not only did God create a beautiful place for them to live, he also explained the delightful food that he had prepared for them. He said, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree who yields seed, to you it shall be food. Adam and Eve had no bills to pay, no taxes to worry about. They walked out, they took fruit, they ate. Ah, that's why I'm longing for the new heaven and the new earth again. No locks, no keys, no vandals, no burgers, no hopstables, no pharmacies, no uh, funerals, no undertakers. They're going to have no work, the doctors and undertakers in heaven, uh, because there's nothing for them to do anymore. They enjoyed perfect health and endless youth, their undying commitment to each other and God, boundless love. God wanted them to share these blessings, and so he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God also knew that man should have work to do, tasks that would provide a sense of accomplishment and purpose in life. He gave Adam and Eve the responsibility for oversight over this new beautiful world. He told them, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. While everything belongs to God, he entrusted to mankind the stewardship of planet Earth. Steward is one who acts as a supervisor of finances or property for another. As we see in the Bible, God is the owner and we are the stewards managing his property. Now, if you are an owner and you have someone managing for you, where does the greatest stress lie? It lies with the owner. Because the manager can technically walk away. Yeah, there's a bit of worries. But it's the owner's property. And that is why we can take our concerns and our worries and bring it to the Lord. While everything uh, belongs to God, He has entrusted us with this responsibility. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, and the, world's, uh, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. And again God says in Psalm 50, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. Are mine. A beautiful description that everything belongs to God and that it is His concern. And He maintains that through 
the regular cycles in nature through the beauty of His creation. Even our ability to work and earn money is a gift from God to us. We do not own anything. And often we mistakenly say, I am bringing my tithes back to God. No. And even when we do return God's tithe to Him, the other 90% is also His. This 10% is just the acknowledging that everything belongs to Him. And we often forget that. And, and once we've paid our tithes, we sometimes feel, well, then I can do the rest with the rest of what I want to because I've given God His part. Everything belongs to Him. Um, and as our Creator, God has a claim on our possession, on our lives. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, and the Lord, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, uh, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to you, uh, to your fathers, as it is this day. As this verse says, it is He who gives us our wealth. Everything we own, everything we have comes from God. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, God gave them specific instructions to follow. Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Genesis 2 verse 16 and 17. This was the test of man's loyalty. It was also a reminder that God was the ultimate owner of everything. And by obeying God's commands, they would demonstrate their love for Him and acknowledge Him as the owner of everything. By being faithful stewards, they would be able to live forever in this world and in this paradise. But, sadly, Adam and Eve failed the one simple test God had given them. They failed to live in recognition of God's ownership of everything. And instead disobeyed the one who had given them the freedom to eat of all the trees to do almost anything they desired. They lost their innocence, their happiness, their garden home. They fell from royalty to slavery. Satan and the host of angels rejoiced. But many centuries later, and we spoke about this in one of the previous presentations, Satan's dominion would be shattered by Christ's birth in this world because after giving the dominion to Adam and Eve through the act of disobedience they transferred that dominion to Satan that is why he is referred to as the God of this world and the devil's plan was to deceive the divine son of God um, like Adam and Eve after Jesus had finished fasting for 40 days Satan in the third um, uh, temptation took him up to the hill and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world now this is after the temptation of the bread uh, and uh, jumping off the temple and he said to him all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me how arrogant who gave him the right to offer God all the things of the world well not really because Adam and Eve gave that right, when through their disobedience, they transferred the authority to the devil. And now he could circumvent the cross 
by bowing down and acknowledging that Satan is the God of this world. It was a real temptation. Uh, when I read this the first time and the first few times, I, I couldn't understand how this is a temptation. I would have laughed at this if I was God, because he does have no right. But yet he did. And it made it a real temptation for Jesus. Fortunately, he was victorious through this temptation. And he brought back the dominion of this world by being the second Adam. Where the first Adam had fallen, the second Adam was faithful and victorious. And now he has brought back the world from Satan and his dominion. Satan had hoped to entice Jesus with the kingdoms of this world, but he did not succeed. Amen? The things that Satan had offered to Jesus were not his to give in a certain sense. Um, and Jesus brought back the world through Satan, tried to tempt and entice Jesus for the next three and a half years. He faithfully obeyed his Father's will. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, uh, Satan was defeated. His fate was sealed forever, and Jesus brought back the world. He was the conqueror, and Satan was vanquished. Sadly, the final fulfillment of this prophecy has not happened yet. We're close to that time. And everything we are and everything we have was made possible by the gift of Jesus on the cross. Whether we know it or not, whether we love him or not, our very lives and everything we own is because of him. Not only is he our creator, but he is our redeemer, our sustainer. And like Adam and Eve, we are stewards of what God entrusts to us. So what does God require from us? Thankfully, the Bible is very clear about I, our responsibility. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Moreover, it is required that in stewards that one be found faithful. I want to be a faithful steward. But what is it that we are to be stewards of? The greatest gift that God gives us is the gift of life itself. During the week, I again emphasize this fact by saying that Every breath you take is a miracle from God. And, and we don't even think about it. It is our auto, um, autonomous part of the brain which helps us to breathe, our heart to beat. But every second passing by is a miracle. Life itself is the greatest gift. And therefore the Apostle Paul declares, God who made the world and everything in it gives to all life, breath, and all things. This gift miracle that occurs just during this presentation as we breathe in and out do we realize how blessed we truly are life originates with god and he sustains it every heartbeat every breath of air every pulse in our bodies is a gift from god paul writes in romans 12 verse 1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So our bodies, our body temple belongs to God. And he wants unreserved commitment, a surrender to Christ. And he wants to be the leader of our lives. We should seek to use our lives to bless others, to protect our health and strength as stewards of the gift of life or the body temple. We are also stewards of our time stewards of our time so the first one is temple the second one is time 
Someone once said that time is the stuff life is made of. And everyone receives the same amount of time per day. Not everyone has the same time in terms of lifespan. The psalmist seems to recognize this responsibility when he writes, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To waste time is to waste life itself. We all have the same time as I mentioned, and will give account of the time which we used. Now, being steward of our time means that we also are to give 10% of our time to God. Often people say, I am here on a Sabbath. I already give a seventh of my time. A seventh is more than a tenth, so I've done my part. <laughs> well, this seventh is non-negotiable. That's part of God's commandments. In addition to that, 10% of your time belongs to God. What does that mean practically in our lives? It means two hour, hours a day belongs to God, approximately. There's 24 hours in a day. We can equate that to an hour morning and an hour in the evening to do our devotionals, or a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening and an hour to do outreach. Um, do we faithfully give 10% of our time to God? Uh, I hope you do. And if not, today is a time when you can recommit to give in that time. And here's the problem. Often people say, but life has become busy. I just do not have the time. Well, we all experience that. But the truth is that we can make and create time. Um, that is why we fast. Uh, fasting is not only uh, physical for our bodies, but it is also fasting to have additional time to spend time with God. So the time we use to prepare the food is now used to commune with God. We can fast not only from food, but we can fast from fill in the blank, whatever is taking up your time. Reading books, watching television. Ah, I don't want to go to that one. Scrolling on your phone. I, do you know how addictive this is? I read a book recently called Digital Cocaine. And it shows that scrolling your phone, just you know, kind of senselessly going through Facebook or Instagram, is just as addictive as cocaine. Obviously, the the, the effects that it has upon you is not as harmful. But in terms of the neurobiology, what happens in your brain, there's no difference between uh, scrolling on a phone and cocaine. And, and I found it in my life when I upgraded to a new phone a while back. It has a function which tells you how much hours a day you spend on the phone. And I thought this would be interesting because I know it's not more than two or three hours, right? Because it includes work. Huh. After that first work, it sends me a report. Eight hours a day. I said, who's on the phone all the time? <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> and suddenly I realized that I am wasting, a lot of it is work-related, but I'm also wasting a lot of time. So we can buy time by choosing to do less of things which are in effect robbing us of our time with God. About 15 years ago, uh, 17 to be exact, when I moved into the um, place where we now live, uh, uh, there was no television dish or um, way to uh, get television. And I didn't have money. And so I said for my, to my wife, let's do without television for a while. Because we don't have money in any case. But I, I kind of motivated it as a, as a moral decision, but it was actually a financial one. <laughs> and she said, yes, let's do that. And uh, the first month or two turned into a year or two, and now it's been 17 years that I don't have a television. And it is one of the greatest blessings in my life 
because the time which I used to spend, and, and I wasn't addicted, but sometimes you get home, you're tired, you just go, just go and lie there and watch, flip through the channels, and, and when you see three, four hours have passed, you know what it's like. In fact, they say that the rapid scene of change of television uh, has a semi-hypnotic effect on you because one of the ways you can hypnotize people was with a flashing light. And in the old days, the, the scenes were long and slow. You know, you'd have 15 to 20 seconds of a scene. Now it changes every two to three seconds. Uh, and, and that it has a semi-hypnotic effect. And that's why we cannot help it. In essence, once we sit there, we, we stuck four hours later and like, why am I watching this? It's not even something I'm interested in. But the point is that, that it was one of the best decisions I made for my spiritual life, and it bought me so much time. And, and I actually feel bad that I did not make it for the right reason initially. But here's the thing. A while later, I found out that what I'd gained through not having television, I lost through my cell phone. And I have to discipline myself to make sure that I have enough time. So practical ways in which we can buy time. I'm trying to be real here, and I think we're all in the same boat when it comes to these things. One way we can acknowledge God's ownership of our time is by remembering the specific uh, time he requested us to recognize him. Not only the Sabbath, but on a daily basis, uh, spending time with him. We are also stewards of our talents. That's the third T. So we've looked now at our temple, our time, our talents. God has given us. And you might say, but what specific talents has God given me? Well, firstly, everyone received talents. If we think of the parable of the talents, the first one received five, the second one two, the third one one. Was there a fourth man standing there waiting who didn't receive any and he went away empty-handed? No. And because of that, everyone, everyone in this church, I want you to know that you have been gifted by God. You have received talents to fulfill his gospel. And don't think that some are less important than others. Because often we think that this is an important one. You only have the gift of, or the talent of, it's not that important. And that is why he says, can the ne nose say to the ear, uh, or the foot to the leg, each one of God's people has an important role to play. And develop those talents. Uh, make sure as church that you create an environment where people can fulfill these talents. Everyone has talents. And uh, we, we often think of the things that are recognizable, like the ability to sing or write or speak. But some talents are not that obvious, but just as important. The ability to make others feel accepted and comfortable. The talent of entertaining and hospitality. The gift of listening ear and understanding heart. The gift of... Uh, knowing when to send someone a special WhatsApp. Ah, now I'm back at my phone again. Then it's been used for good. <laughs> but send someone a special message or go and visit that person is just as important because it can save a soul for God's kingdom uh, just as much as those which are a lot more obvious. Every ability we have to bless others uh, is a gift from God. And Paul writes, and what you have let me repeat that again. And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Everyone has received it. And I encourage you to develop those gifts. Not only are we stewards of our temple, our time, and our talents, but finally we're also stewards of our 
tithe or our money. So it's the four T's. The temple, time, talents, and tithes or money we have received. In the Bible it is clear that those whose lives were dedicated to God were also generous with the finances they received from him. And it actually starts uh, one day when Abram's nephew Lot and his family were taken captive from their home in Sodom by an enemy tribe. And when the news reached Abram, he determined to rescue Lot and the others. He prayed for God to be with him and give him success. And God was with him, and Lot and his family were rescued. And the treasures taken by the enemy were recovered. As Adam, uh, rather Abram approached Sodom, the king came out to meet him urging him to keep the treasures he had recovered and only return the captives to their home. But Abraham refused to take anything for himself. Melchizedek, the priest of God, brought Adam a meal and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tithe of all. This is the first time in Genesis uh, uh, 14 verse 20 where we read about this. Abram wanted to express his appreciation for God's guidance in securing the rescue of Lot. And instead of receiving uh, from the king, he now gave. He is returning the tithes, acknowledged God's ownership and blessing. We can never outgive the Lord. Never. And part of the uh, problem with giving is that it has to do with our level of income and we must be satisfied. Whatever that level may, level may be, it can be high, it can be low, that's irrelevant. But decide on a level, and once you've reached that level, stop. But the problem is when you reach that level, you say, well, I'm here now, but I'd like to be there. And when you get there, and, and you keep wanting to go higher and higher, and eventually you come to the end of your life, and you look back and you say, it was all like chasing wind. Because now I've here, I've, I've achieved this. And sometimes you don't even achieve it. And so what? Someone referred to life and finances as a rat race. Does it feel sometimes like you're in a rat race? Uh, just running around? But I like what this person he says, um, said. He said, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> you're still a rat. And often we're trying to win this race, hoping that once we get there, we'll be happy. But we will not. So... Uh, Dr. Ben Maxson, the previous stewardship director of the General Conference, told us a story about a family in America who decided that their level of uh, income would be pegged at $200,000 a year. It's a lot of money in America. You live a very comfortable life. This was about 10 years ago, he told us this. And they said they'll pay a faithful tithe on, on all their income, but anything above $200,000 they'll give to the Lord 100% because that's the level that I'm happy with. They had a business, and once they made this decision, within four years, God blessed that business, and it had an annual profit of $3 million. They were still only living on 200000 They were living on less than 10% and giving 90-plus percent to God and His kingdom. And they had a peace because uh, there was contentment. And, and decide what that level is. It can be a high, it can be low, it doesn't matter. But once you've reached that, stop there. And be content with what God has given you. But the challenge is that, that it's that, that carrot before our nose. There's always something else we want. Looking at the neighbors. Ah, they've got a new swimming pool. Ah, we need a new one. Uh, or a new car. Or a new whatever. Or, or, or something better. And, and we never are content and get to the point 
where we are happy. And so, um, in Abram's life, we realize that he was happy. He was content. And instead of receiving, he was willing to give. 150 years later, Abram's grandson uh, expressed his gratitude to God in the same way. While fleeing from his angry brother, Jacob felt utterly alone and afraid. He desperately wanted the protection of God, but he felt so guilty of robbing the birthright from his brother Esau that he feared God had forsaken him and would not forgive him. With a great sense of remorse, Jacob confessed his wrongs to God and then wearily lay down on the ground and slept. And then he dreamt, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. When Jacob awoke from this dream, he knew that God had spoken, promising guidance and protection. Deeply touched, he gratefully promised, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Genesis chapter 28. This is the second time we read about this. Have you ever wondered how to thank God for his incredible goodness to you? The gift of family friendship, health, material blessings. Do you sometimes wonder if a mere thank you is enough? The question is, does God need your money? He doesn't. Because as we read earlier, the cattle on a thousand hills, is he has unlimited resources at his disposal. When we give, it is not about God. It is about what it does to us. It is about how it teaches us to be unselfish. King David felt the same way when he asked, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? We cannot pay for anything that God has done for us. And we're not trying to bribe our way into heaven or pay for that reason. The Bible principle of stewardship provides a tangible way of expressing our appreciation for God for all his benefits. And God has unlimited resources to his disposal. I quickly want to share a testimony in my ministry. The last church that I ministered to, at one stage we decided to print a DVD called They Have Made Void Thy Law by Professor Walter Fight, And we want to distribute this DVD um, at different churches and hand it out to people. So we had enough money in our budget for 2,500 of these DVDs. And I went to the church board and as a pastor I wanted to cast a vision. And I said, let's think big. Let's do 5,000. Yeah, but we only have money for 2,500. But, but let's take a step in faith. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And, and I think I bullied the elders a bit. Uh, the treasurer wasn't happy. But eventually they, they succumbed to the pastor's uh, faith. And uh, we voted for 5,000. And I remember leaving there and I felt good about myself. I'd been a pastor of faith, you know. Doubled what is available. But God quickly brought me down to size. <laughs> And he showed me that what I was doing was actually nothing. Because between August and December of that year, that church distributed, replicated and distributed 110,000 of those DVDs. It's one of the biggest miracles in my ministry I've experienced. One day God must show me how mathematically it was possible. And here I was, the church was thinking 2,500. I was saying, let's think big, 5,000. And God was showing me that 5,000, ah, it's small, it's down there. And maybe even 110,000 is down there because God has unlimited resources to His disposal. And when you work for God, when you give your treasure to God, it is impossible to outgive God. 
He will multiply and supply in all your needs more than you have ever dreamed possible. The book Acts of the Apostle, God says through his servant two quotes. The one is, God himself has guaranteed our success when winning souls for Christ. The other quote says, um, the power which God created, that, rather, the power which God used to create the universe is at our disposal when winning souls for his kingdom. Unlimited power, God has guaranteed the success. Why are we still here? <laughs> if one thinks of those two quotes and we bring them together, there's no reason why we should still be here. And I want you to think big, bigger than you've ever thought. Because if, if the vision you have for this church or for your personal finances for the sake of God, again, can be accomplished through hard work, then all you need is hard work. But if you have a God-sized goal for your church, and this is not only finances but also evangelism and outreach, if you have a goal which people say this is impossible, that is the type of goal I like, a stretch goal, a goal which drives you to your knees, a goal, a goal which is impossible to fulfill on your own. I like it when people say it cannot be done because now God can show that it can be done. And it's not me. It is God and His kingdom. So think big. Think bigger than you've ever thought before. Think unrealistically big. Think so big that people laugh at you and say this cannot be done. And then go to your knees and God will fulfill and supply. I wish I could share the miracles I've experienced with this principle. I will keep you busy till tonight with that, but I won't do that. <laughs> uh, but, but, but think big. Um, because we serve a God who has unlimited resources to His and to our disposal when saving soul for His kingdom. The first written instruction, we've looked at a few uh, times when people uh, gave tithe, but the first written instruction of returning a tithe is recorded in the book of Leviticus. And all the tithe of the land, whether uh, the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. As we return a tithe, we are continually impressed with the truth that God is the creator and the source, source of every blessing. And how is it to be used? The book of Numbers explains, Behold, I have given the children of Levi, which were the ministers in the service of God, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of the meeting. Throughout the Bible, we find that tithes were always dedicated to support the ministry. The New Testament, Paul says, uh, do you not know that those who minister in the holy things eat of the holy things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So it is quite simple how it is used, but here's the challenge. We are living in what uh, sociologists and theologians call a postmodern society. So in essence, what this means is two generations or three generations back, People thought differently. The baby boomers, the Generation X, Generation Y, the millennials, they all have different ways of thinking about things. And, and two or three generations back, people gave to the cause of the Lord without asking questions. They just gave because it's the right thing to do and, and God would bless it. The next generation gave, but they asked the question. They would give and say, what are you using this for? And if you were using it for wrong things or for unbiblical things or, or not being used well, they would stop giving sometimes. They would question that. And I think it's a fair question. The latest generation asks two questions. 
what are you giving it for? And why are you using it for that? Isn't there a better way in which we can use this? And also a fair question. And therefore, we must be faithful stewards when using the money which our members have entrusted. And I think of the little old lady who uses a little bit less energy in the winter so that she can give a faithful tithe. And the church sometimes, not in the Cape Conference, I hope, <laughs> but sometimes uh, misapplying and misappropriating those funds. How does one bring these two together? I travel extensively throughout the division territory in the countries of uh, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Angola, Saltome and Principe, Madagascar, um, uh, uh, and three of the countries that I minister in, Madagascar, Malawi, and Mozambique, are in the top ten poorest countries of the world when measured by GDP cap per capita. And I look at this uh, poverty, and I look at Zimbabwe, which has uh, hyperinflation once again, People getting a salary and rushing to the store, to the shop, to buy anything. Because uh, tomorrow, if I take that same money, it's worthless. But at least if I buy something, I can barter and, you know, survive. Um, I recently spoke to someone from Cuba. A pastor's average salary in Cuba is 3,500 pesos. And uh, a five-liter can of oil costs 2,000 pesos. Uh, a dozen, actually, actually 24, two dozen eggs cost 2,500 pesos. So you can buy two dozen eggs and five liter oil and you've blown your whole salary in, in, the, in the country of Cuba. Um, and, and, and on and on. So how do we see people sacrificing? If you have a choice, I have money which I'm going to use now for the sake of God and give a faithful tithe or to feed my wife and children. That's a tough decision. Some of us might have been there before in our lives, but most of us probably not. And, uh, and when people make the decision to even sacrifice a meal to be faithful to God, we must use that money correctly. And the fact that people are questioning and asking these questions is not wrong. I believe it's correct. It is, it, it is part of the postmodern thinking, but I think we must be held accountable. And sadly, accountability in God's church is sometimes low. Uh, so I'm speaking very straightforward um, uh, because this is the realities that we have to face. Um, Christ commanded or commended rather the tithing system of his day, even as he rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for their narrow-minded approach to religion and to giving. Uh, and uh, we read in um, Matthew 23, For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So, the Pharisees in the day and the scribes and the Sadducees would weigh out even the herbs, 10%. They would count those little herbs and, and weigh that. That is God's tithe. But the widows and the orphans were being neglected. So they were exact in the way they were performing the rituals, but at the cost of people's lives. And God says, that is also important. Do not neglect being faithful in your tithe, but do not think that once you have done that, you have done everything that is needful. Perhaps uh, you may be wondering how it is possible to give a faithful tithe. If you look at your budget, look at your income, it is sometimes difficult. And one of the best ways to be faithful in tithing is to get rid of debt. 
And I have a whole series actually on debt and how easy it actually is to get out of debt. Um, and it is, it is possible to do that. But if you don't have debt, you have so much more that you can do for God's kingdom and for his cause. And, and some people have asked, should I pay on my net or on my gross? Um, well, do you want to be blessed on net or on gross? <laughs> I guess that's the question. You can never outgive the Lord. Um, and uh, yes, it's important that we remain faithful in our tithes and our free will offerings. Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. We read this often when we do our offertory reading as, as part of the uh, preparation of our hearts. But in practical sense, do you know what this verse means? When last did you pray to God and say, Lord, please, please stop blessing me. I, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I'm struggling to use, uh, you know, last year's check. I don't know what to do with all the money. Just please stop blessing me. <laughs> we don't pray that. And yet this is exactly what that verse says. If we are faithful, God would pour out such a blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. We'll say to God, please go and bless my neighbor because I've had, I have enough now. <laughs> we don't think of the implications of this. Um, and often we pray for selfish things. So, and fortunately God translates our prayers through His Spirit before the Father. So I'm praying, Lord, please, my car is broken. Lord, please give me a new Ferrari. <laughs> God doesn't give me a Ferrari because he knows I'll probably be a, not be a better person if I have one. Probably write myself off, get more speeding fines. I don't know what all the reasons are. But God answers that prayer by giving me a Corolla. It's also an answer to prayer. It's not the one I was looking for, and I say, but, you know, it's, it's not what I'm looking for. God knows what we need, and he will supply in our needs. But, again, it has to deal with me being content with Fill in the blank for yourself, whatever that is, but be content with that. Once you have what you want, give the rest to the Lord. And then it continues uh, to say, uh, but you say, in what have we robbed you in tithes and in offerings? So sadly, the people of Israel had not been faithful to God. They had robbed God of these tithes and offerings. And so Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When you give, you will receive more than enough. What a beautiful plan God has given to finance His work, to rid us of our selfishness. And He asks us to give from our hearts, never fearing for our own needs, because He can meet them and even more. If you are a faithful tithe player today, praise the Lord. If you are not, um, and you're struggling to do it because of financial reasons, to take that step in faith, then uh, start with a percentage. Make it 1% even, if you're not paying any. But make a goal to reach 10%. Take small steps in faith if you have to. Don't stay at 1%. Say, Lord, I will do 1% this month. That is what my faith can deal with. And 2% next month and 3%, and within 10 months you'll be in 10%. If you want to take that step in faith... That's also fine. That's between you and God. The mission of the church is to take care of the needs of people. 
and God calls us to be faithful. Um, but the way in which the church is structured is proportional, which means everyone gives according to his income. And I love the Seventh-day Adventist system that pastors are paid the same, irrespective of where they are pastoring or ministries, ministering. People give according to their income, meaning that there's only one person in the church which should know what you're paying, and that's the treasurer. Someone has to receive it. But as pastor, I never knew who was contributing more or less. So one cannot look down at someone who is paying less. One cannot uh, be manipulated by others who are paying more. It's a very fair and equitable system. Um, one of the fascinating parables about the diligent and industrious farmer who worked hard and had a tremendous crop at harvest time. And this crop was so great that his barns couldn't contain it. They were already bursting, and the crop wasn't in yet. What could he do? He struggled over this decision, and should he give the excess to the poor? But he thought, it is mine. Had not been I been the one who had done all this planning, hadn't I been the one who worked so hard? And he convinced himself what to do by saying the following. He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there, will be, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I say to you, my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul shall be required from you. Uh, God wants us to be faithful. Then those will, sorry, let me repeat that. Then whose will those things be when you, which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. God wants us to be faithful, not to only enrich ourselves, but to look for the beads of people around us, to bless them in addition to that which God has done. The rich farmer did not acknowledge where his blessings came from. He did not recognize his creator or his obligations as steward. He forgot the poor, the orphans, the widows, the homeless. He became selfish and developed the problem that the Bible teaches on stewardship uh, and that we should also be protected from. Jesus says, um, for where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Jesus was very serious about our attitude towards possession. If not surrendered to Jesus, they could lead us away from God and from eternal life. He says in Matthew chapter 16, For what profited a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The Bible counsel on stewardship is very simple. That our time, our talents, our temple, and our treasure belong to God. And we acknowledge that by bringing back. But I'd like to end with an illustration which really touched my heart about how we should prioritize God in everything. So in the South Sea Islands, Papua New Guinea, um, uh, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, uh, Tonga, Fiji, a lot of those islands, um, people still bring of the produce to the church instead of the money. And at a lot of churches, there's a storehouse where you bring your uh, corn, your fish if you're a fisherman, um, your fruit. And the pastor then takes that, sells that as the at the local market, 
and that money he then uh, deposits or, or gives to the conference. And so the pastor was standing at the storehouse one day. Um, there's a specific designated time when people come to bring this. And a young boy, probably about 10 years old, came with a big fish. And he told the story. He says the fish was almost as big as the little boy. <laughs> and he brought this and he said, uh, you know, I'm bringing my tithe to the Lord. And the pastor engaged with him. There was no one else there. And he said, ah, you've had a good day. You uh, bring in your tithe to the Lord. Uh, you know, did you go out fishing in a boat? He said, no, I was fishing with a line. He said, but it must have been a wonderful day. There must have been a school of fish or something because... Uh, you know, to catch 10 fish in a morning is, is quite something to bring your tithe. And the little boy said, no, no, I've only caught one. Uh, this is the tithe. I'm going back to catch the other nine now. <laughs> Prioritizing God and placing Him first in all that we do. Uh, sometimes we give whatever's left where we should give uh, the best of our time, our talents, our temple, our treasure, whatever it may be. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have sadly not been faithful in all the four T's of stewardship. Um, and I pray that you would be faithful and that we can make a decision once again today to do so. I recently heard about a pastor engaging with a member who was struggling to uh, take the step in faith. And he said to him, uh, you're a businessman. He said, Yes. He said, are you trustworthy? He said, most definitely. Uh, you give me anything uh, you can trust that I will, I will you know, keep it. He said, you believe that God, is trust, that God is trustworthy? He said, well, of course. He said, well, then why don't you give God what is his in any case? Because if God is trustworthy, just like you keep something and will return it, God will keep it. But he will also return it to you because he is trustworthy. And he might not return it in exact the way that you have given to him, but he will return that. And if you trust God, if you believe that God is trustworthy, you can entrust it to him. He's only, in a sense, keep it in, in trust. And when he sees your needs and when he sees you exercising uh, your spiritual stewardship the way you should, he will then just give what you've given to him back again to use for his kingdom. And I like the simplicity of this. That is what it entails to be a faithful steward, trusting God enough to give him uh, what is already his. And if you trust him, he will return that to you at the right time and the right place. May God bless us as we prayerfully consider the stewardship in our own lives and as we fulfill God's mission for our lives. Um, is my prayer for you in Jesus' name. Amen.